there, you are listening to the Niagara Moon Podcast. I'm Thomas Irwin, and I'm coming back after a uh, bit of an extended break. You know, it was the holidays, and I uh, just had a lot of other stuff going on. Pretty much all good, but uh, busy nonetheless. Uh, album is almost done, the new album, and I'll uh, be making more announcements on that soon. Also, I put out a new music video for Pantheon Bar recently. Very excited about the response that's been getting so far. And uh, maybe if you're new to the podcast, if this is the first episode you've come across, maybe you just saw the uh, Pantheon Bar video recently. Well, I'm the guy there. I'm the uh, Willy Wonka-looking conductor um, orchestrating all the parts, you know, playing all those instruments. Um, I don't actually play 15 different instruments in reality, but I am uh, the main guy behind Niagara Moon. I write all the songs, uh, sing all the the main vocal parts, uh, play most of the instruments. Occasionally I'll have other people come in and and collaborate, participate, some some choice few. And of course my uh, girlfriend, longtime partner Hui Min, sings uh, vocal harmony nowadays on, on many of our songs. So she's an important component. But um, anyway, I'm here today to take you behind the scenes of uh, Pantheon Bar, the song itself. Since uh, a, lot of, a lot of people have been checking out the video, it's kind of been getting some traction. And uh, it's a very interesting song for me in many different ways. Uh, I definitely think you could argue musically it's the most happens to be the most audacious and kind of unique and strange song that I've put together. You know, I'm proud of pretty much every song that I've released as Niagara Moon. I I feel they all sit pretty well. But uh, this one does kind of hold a special place for me, not least because it is the first Niagara Moon song I ever made, the very first one. I'm going to say right now that this episode may end up being split into two parts because there's just kind of so much to say on it, at least from my perspective. Obviously, if you listen to the song, you can tell there's a million different kind of parts going on. So kind of a lot to dig into there. So we'll see where this takes us. I may may have to split it up halfway through. But anyway, to take you back, Pantheon Bar is a very old song for me. Like at this point... It's 2020. I mean, we're, we're talking like five and a half years ago I was putting this together. So if I take you back to like 2014, and I think it was the summer, and I remember that because it was very, very, very hot in my room. There was no air conditioning. And I was living in Kyoto, Japan. Uh, I kind of mentioned in past episodes, I lived in Japan for a long time, and in Kyoto specifically, like two years, over two years, and uh, was living with some friends, had some roommates, had a a room of my own in uh, downtown Kyoto, and uh, I was doing a band that I've definitely talked about before. I was doing the band Otarehan, and um, they're basically, you know, the music before Niagara Moon is is Otarehan. They're they're very similar in a lot of ways because I was kind of steering the ship there as well. But anyway... I was doing this band, and uh, that, w- that was great, and writing a lot of songs for that, a lot of them in Japanese. Um, but it was uh, 
you know, kind of a, a quote unquote rock band. There was a drummer and guitarist and bassist and you're writing for that arrangement, you know, these more conventional songs uh, with more conventional parts going on. And certainly not the weird kind of surrealistic craziness that's going on in a song like Pantheon Bar. But the kind of beginnings, the origins of Pantheon Bar, again, it's going to come from a bunch of different places, and I'll, I'll just try to sort it out as I go along. But I wanted to do more music that was computer-based and kind of structured more freely and was set up in a way where like anything is possible. You know, when I'm doing Otarehan, I'm doing the rock band, that's a very specific format to perform music and it's going to sound a certain way. You have kind of certain guidelines with that. You gotta give everybody a part to play, ba 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 ba. So say if that's like the Beatles, please please me, you know, early Beatles style, I wanted to do something crazy like Sgt. Pepper's-ish. I, I wanted to uh, give myself an opportunity to just really wildly experiment again and do something kind of on my own. Because before doing the band and before writing kind of band songs, even before that, when I was a teenager, I was really into electronic music for a while and uh, like experimental, weird, uh, like soundscapes and st strange rhythms and just kind of like really playing around with... Uh, computer software like a canvas and, and just kind of let yeah letting my imagination run wild so we're talking that kind of mindset again this is a long time ago uh and um the very kind of core spark that the song pantheon bar came from just in terms of lyrics and the theme of what i'm saying in the song and kind of the the mood or picture it creates it was a very specific origin, and you'd never know it by listening to it because everything got very obscured and made abstract. But uh, again, we'll, we'll dig more into this uh, apartment story. So I'm living in this apartment in Kyoto, Japan. I have three roommates, and we had a very unique apartment in that it had a basement. So hardly any structures in Japan, apartments or otherwise, are going to have basements. That's just, that's not a sort of uh, a build they have, you know, with all the earthquakes and destruction during World War II and stuff. That's just, that's very rare. That's like unheard of. We had this quite large basement space. And again, I'm in Japan. Everything is tiny. You know, you have the like minimum amount of room for yourself to, to kind of live with and, and, and operate in. You know, so this was an unheard of kind of luxury that, that attracted us to, to me and my friends moving into this building. So we had this big basement space, but it hadn't had any work done to it whatsoever. Like it was just a totally empty, kind of uh, unwelcoming, you know, just big empty concrete space. It's not someplace you'd hang out in. Um, you know, I think there were lights, but that was about it. Like, you know, it's not furnished or anything. But we all had this idea that we were going to work on renovating it and, and, and turning it into, like, a hangout space. Maybe we could have performances there. We could have other friends come over. You know, we wouldn't turn it in, into a business, obviously, but we'd almost kind of turn it into our, like, secret, like, DIY art space. And it was this whole grand plan, and everybody was really excited about it. Um, 
but we kept hitting roadblock after roadblock in trying to get it set up more. And there were all these, I mean, I can't really go into it, but there were all these hiccups that were started to become associated with this project. And then it eventually reached a very particular point where we were like, oh, this would cost so much money to actually do the way we should do it. Like, so when I really came to terms with that, I was like, abort mission. This just doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I had an idea of using this as like my new music making space and I could play my speakers and do mixing down there and all that. But you know what, that, that's, that's not realistic. It doesn't make any sense. But another roommate of mine who just really had their heart set on it, they kind of weren't, that wasn't really registering with them and they were still like gaga over this idea and they just kind of weren't letting it go. So this, this overall kind of idea, this feeling of you have all these almost kind of like delusions of, of how things are going to turn out. Like you'll, you'll have this space for yourself in a certain way and you'll have all these advantages and opportunities, these cool things come to you and you, you're just convinced of that when in reality it's totally different, this kind of like self-delusion. And if you kind of take that to ex an extreme, like a, you know, like a megalomania or something, that, that kind of creatively resonated with me. Like this, this whole issue is just kind of floating around in my mind um, as Pantheon Bar vaguely started to take shape. So that's, that's kind of the first thing. I know we're probably already like, what, 15 minutes in here. So uh, we'll, we'll see how far we can get. But so megalomania, kind of a crazed overexcitement, delusion feeling. You know, I was just observing this and I was like, I'm going to channel this energy into a song, you know, in just kind of a, a loosey-goosey kind of abstract way. So that was, that was on the back burner. And um, the term Pantheon Bar itself is very specific. That comes from a particular film that I saw with my friend right around the same time uh, called Holy Mountain. And to this day is one of the absolute weirdest, most surreal, strange, and bizarre, and delightfully, just delightfully weirdo psychedelic movies I've ever seen. It does have a pretty big reputation. It's a movie by a uh, famous director, Alexander Yodorovsky, something like that. I never remember how to pronounce his last name. But uh, Holy Mountain, definitely, if, if you're a fan of uh, music like Pantheon Bar, you'd probably enjoy a movie like Holy Mountain. Um, in the movie Holy Mountain, near the end, all the characters, they're, they're trying to like get, follow the path to enlightenment or something or like summit a mountain. Um, and just before they're about to really get up that mountain, they end up at this weird like kind of purgatory place called the Pantheon Bar. Um, and I think there is a character there that they encounter that like uh, can run through walls and just it's this weird place of sort of like temptation that they get distracted for a while. And I, I got a hoot out of that whole scene. So if you listen back to the lyrics of the Niagara Moon song Pantheon Bar, you, maybe you'll, you'll start making the connection there. But um, so I just I have to give credit to that as well. That that obviously played in pretty heavily. So that's kind of it on the lyrical front is is just dealing with those themes and taking inspiration from that movie. Um, I wrote the lyrics. I remember this quite specifically, actually. Um, 
usually I tend to write lyrics when I'm right at the keyboard or in front of the computer and I'm just putting all the creative pieces together. Um, lyrics are not, kind of th that's not a very special or glamorous process for me in terms of just getting them down and, and writing them out. But uh, the Pantheon Bar lyrics, I just pieced together uh, while I was supposed to be listening to a lecture, I guess, <laughs> when, it, when I, was, I was going to college in Japan, um, taking all these classes there just as a regular status student, um, mainly because I just wanted an excuse to, to live in Kyoto longer and have the right visa. But uh, I, I would never listen to the lectures. There, there's no point. I was, I was going to get the same grade either way, and they weren't saying anything I was interested in. So I, uh, I very specifically remember it was just it was stream of consciousness, con blah, blah, stream of consciousness. Once, once you know, I recognized that I had these themes and I had these certain lines, like you can walk through walls. The whole thing just came out in one sitting while I was sitting in this lecture hall, um, and I didn't quite know the meaning internally of every, you know, every phrase I had in there, but it just, it all felt true to these, to these themes that I've already described. And that was good enough for me. Um, the song Eating Peaches is the same way where I just kind of subconsciously settle into a certain mood or tone. And then, you know, even if it could be quote unquote gibberish, if it just feels, if the words that I come up with off the top of my head just feel like they're sitting in that mood, they're sitting in the right way. You know, I, I don't analyze too deeply. I just say, great, and, and move on. So that's about it for the lyrical content of Pantheon Bar. Now, the music, in terms of just the structure of the song and, you know, the nitty-gritty music nerd stuff like chords and melody and uh, part A and part B and part C, the chorus and the verse, da-da-da. I think by the time I really sat down and put this together... All three distinguishable parts of the song I had in some form written in the past and just never found a way to use, um, you know, because uh, musically speaking, none of them really um, lent themselves to being an Otare Han song. There are these just kind of little bits of melody, little phrases here and there, and I started to just choose a few to fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. And that's something else that I do quite often with a lot of songs, you know. Any, any idea you have, even if it doesn't turn into a full song right away, you know, you can be resourceful and, and find a place for it later on. But, um, so in some form, I, I had all these building blocks, melodically speaking, to work with. Um, but uh, I was able to fit them together by also having some musical references that like the lyrical references, they kind of also touched on the, these themes of like self-delusion and uh, like sense of grandiosity and, and, you know, the megalomania thing, or at least in my mind, they, they kind of fit in this vibe. Earlier that year, I had discovered the music of Van Dyke Parks, you know, not a household name by any means, um, but he was somebody who had uh, successfully done a lot of different production and arrangement work for very popular artists. Um, himself, he has a few solo albums. Um, I'm mainly uh, a fan of his very first album that he did. I think he was like 24, uh, Van Dyke Parks' uh, Song Cycle. And again, not a very famous album by any means, but uh, I had never heard anything like Song Cycle 
and I didn't really like it at first, but then it, it just, it kind of blew my mind. <laughs> um, it's not the kind of music you're into unless you can, uh, it's kind of like what you listen to when you've heard everything else and you're okay with there being like a million different musical ideas going on at once. It's, it's very kind of maximalist music. And um, someone online described it as, uh, it sounds like going through a Civil War museum on acid, which I think is an, actually an excellent description of the album. And uh, I was very uh, impressed by it. It really kind of um, made its way into my musical brain. And it's, it's very, very far removed from band music. And it's also super old. I mean, the album came out in like 1968. So it's not like electronic per se, but it, it's, it's free and kind of experimental, but still melodic in a way that really uh, resonated with me. Um, so just for the heck of it, I'll play a little snippet of uh, two songs off that album, especially that I was like, I'm going to reference this when I, uh, when I work on this Pantheon Bar song. So here you go. Here's a little bit of a tune called Palm Desert and then one called The Attic. <laughs> So very strange sounding stuff, right? I mean, I love it, but I've shown it to maybe like three or four of my friends at this point and uh, no takers. They, they, don't, uh, they can't make heads or tails of it, which is fine. Um, it's just for me. But uh, so that's Van Dyke Parks. And um, that was blowing my mind. I really wanted to do something with the inspiration I was getting from that music. Uh, another big player in this for me was Harry Nilsson. I'll sing Harry Nilsson's praises all day long, but uh, he has more conventional rock stuff and pop stuff. And then he has one album that I don't even know how you'd pronounce it. It's, uh, it starts with a K. It's like Knilsson. And uh, it, again, like um, Song Cycle, at the time totally flopped commercially. Uh, so again, it's this whole theme of like these, these people building up kind of big empires of sound and these, these, you know, masterpieces, and then they go nowhere, they don't sell, nobody pays attention, you know, arguably. Um, so I was kind of aware of that as, as I was uh, playing with these ideas. And again, that just seemed to fit in all the more with this, this overarching theme of Pantheon Bar. But uh, so Harry Nilsson's album, Knilsson, a uh, wonderful album, highly recommend it, was definitely sorely looked, overlooked at the time. It's from the late 70s, but like some of those songs, they could be from any time. They're totally transcendent and just wonderfully written. And the thing is, they were very, very interestingly arranged. And they almost, some of them sound like classical pieces. There's like a lot of like choir work going on in, in some of the songs and a lot of strings. I love me some, some string heavy songs. Um, but there is a particular song called Who Done It. It's not even the best song on the album. It's okay. It's it's kind of like a fun little novelty song. But it has this very striking string in, in string introduction to me that really kind of took me back when I first heard it. And apparently it's just Beethoven, like he just lifted a section from Beethoven and started his song that way. 
I didn't know that at the time, but just the way the song starts, I was like, I want Pantheon Bar to start that way, where it's just this this phrase of just strings and it just kind of lays out the whole song in front of you. Like there's no, you know, there's no buildup. It's just immediate, like pow, hit, hits you in the face. You know, this is the sound of the song, even though there's there's uh, no vocals yet or anything. So maybe I'll, I'll play you just that intro. Maybe you'll you'll hear what I mean. <laughs> All right, so I'm almost done playing you other people's songs. Uh, one other key thing I wanted to mention is uh, the movie Agira, The Wrath of God. Again, a very strange experimental uh, film from the early 70s. The director is Werner Herzog, who uh, is a lot more famous than the movie, perhaps. Uh, he, he had a role in The Mandalorian recently, which is kind of funny. This very intense German director, and I think Agira... Is his best movie. Uh, it stars the inimitable Klaus Kinski, this just insane, literally insane uh, German actor who starred in a lot of Werner Herzog's movies. And Agira is exactly this theme. It's it's this in megalo. So the the story takes place around the time of the con- conquistadors, I think, in like the 15th or 16th century, and it's this just pack of of dudes from the uh, the kingdom of Spain going around the Amazon and uh, led by Agira, who is just as egomaniacal and megalomaniacal as they come, delusions of grandeur, all that. He, he leads everybody astray uh, for the sake of, of taking over this, this kingdom as he thinks of it, you know, like this one guy conquering, you know, all of the jungle. They're in the middle of nowhere. Everybody's starving. People are getting sick. And it's it's just craziness, and he uh, he kind of just takes all control. And as you might imagine, things don't end up well for everybody. And it just I'm hammering it home. It plays into this uh, idea of Pantheon Bar, this uh, delusions of grandeur idea. Yeah. So I've probably said that like six times at this point. But uh, the not just thematically with that film, but it has a, an amazing soundtrack by some weird avant-garde German band, obviously. And the opening song is, it sounds like a choir, but it's, it's I think, synthesizers. And it's this wonderful meshing of the classical and pop and electronic worlds together. Um, and just the, the tone of these kind of fake singers, I guess. Um, that was something I also emulated uh, as I was going... Uh, through making Pantheon Bar. So I'll just play a little of that, and then we're really going to get into, um, you know, what I did specifically to make the song. But here's a little bit of the uh, theme from Agira. Okay, so... You kind of know where my head was at with uh, the lyrics and the vibe, sort of the musical structure. Now all I had to do was just sit down in front of my computer and figure out how everything was going to fit together and how the technic, the, the, figuring out the, the technical aspects of everything, right? This, this can't just exist in my head. I need to uh, 
to make this into a song that people can listen to. So I asked myself, what tools do I have available? Okay, so I'm not going to involve any of the Otarehan guys. None of this calls for drums or, or bass or guitar or anything. I'm, I'm on my own here. Um, I have a keyboard. I think I had two keyboards. Uh, I have some instruments on my software, you know, soft synths, as they call them. And I have, in terms of samples, you know, I have the internet, any, any kind of sound I can think of, or, you know, maybe I want to get a certain beat, a certain loop, blah, blah, blah. You know, if I, if I dig around long enough on, uh, I like to go to freesound.org, or maybe I like to go to YouTube. You know, let, let's, let's see how this goes. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm just going to dive in, just start playing part by part and let the chips fall where they may, really, is, is how I like to go about it. Because if I just try to analyze it too much, plan out, uh, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. <laughs> like, it's, it's just going to seem impenetrable. Um, so side note, anybody out there who's like, how do I make music? How do I get better at making music? I worry about this. I worry about that. Just sit down and do it. And don't worry about it. And then you're always going to have a chance to edit later, change when appropriate. But the more you just do and, and just have something sitting there to, to carve out and work with, the more ideas are just going to come and you'll just, you're going to ride the inspiration train. That's like, I'm going to show you part by part what I did, but I don't even remember, I vaguely remember making any of these decisions or how I played this or, you know, th this is a moment in time and I was, I just happened to be somewhat present for it. That's kind of how I, I look at it. But so back, back to the nitty gritty technical stuff. All right. Strings are going to be big. What I don't play any strings. I don't know anybody who plays violin or cello or whatever. Uh, certainly didn't at this time. So we're, we're going full on computer instrument mode and, um, Sorry, guys, I'm going to have to play one more other song for you just to take you into this world. But, uh, so now I'm in Japan. I'm digging lots of different Japanese music. There is a particular composer, particular artist named Susumu Hirasawa. And if you're an anime nerd, you may be familiar with his work on... He did soundtracks for the movie uh, Paprika and Millennium Actress. I think he might have done uh, Perfect Blue as well. Maybe one of you, uh, you real anime people out there can, can correct me, but um, an amazing, super prolific electronic composer. Check out any of his work, especially those, those two movie soundtracks. Um, the reason I'm bringing him up is he is a one-man band for sure, you know, not like these 60s and 70s, 70s guys. He's, he's working with computers, he's working with synthesizers, and he's building these like sound empires, the, these orchestral sounding things himself just with the same tools that I have, if not fewer, because a lot of this stuff is from the 90s and they didn't have as good a software. So I turned to him for inspiration and I was like, okay, however he went about it, I'll just do that. I'll play you one of his tunes just to get it, you, give you an idea of what he sounds like, sort of. Um, this is called like The Philosopher's Propeller. I think that's one of his more popular albums from the 90s. So, uh, yeah, let's just give that, that a go a little bit here.
So to me, at least, that sounds so grandiose and, and magnificent, but the reality is it's just him in probably his bedroom studio just doing everything himself. He has all the tools available he needs at his fingertips. So I'm like, great, let's run with that. Um, my keyboard, the main keyboard I used, had a very cool string patch on it. Um, nowadays, I'm all about like software instruments, even for like orchestral parts. I'm in contact by native instruments all the time. Uh, I don't really use a lot of built into my keyboard type of sounds, but uh, I did for this. And um, that's where I played the initial intro, the Harry Nilsson style, Knilsson style intro to kind of just set the mood of the whole song and, and really grab your attention right away. So just on the spot, I came up with the uh, particular uh, series of chords you, you hear in the finished product. Um, granted, I did kind of spread it out between different registers of strings, like higher and lower, just to uh, add an extra dimension to it. I didn't want to, you know, you play one little part, one little take, and, you know, that's not going to maybe sound big enough on its own that the trick is in layering. So I got very into layering with this. So here's what that sounded like. So that was just one wonderful, big sounding um, bass string patch that uh, came on the keyboard. And, you know, I probably added some effects onto it to make it even bigger sounding. My usual bag of tricks includes uh, reverb, or, you know, some people would call that echo, and um, an effect called chorus, which just makes it sound like there's more than one of the sound and it's spread out and kind of envelops you. So uh, I treated it in that sort of way. Um, that was the bass part. Here is the uh, middle part. that sound. And again, I think that was one take. I probably only had to just use one hand, you know, recording the keyboard straight into the computer. Easy as pie. Um, some other sounds that are going on in this uh, grandiose introduction is, um, so, you know, when I'm thinking outside of just the sounds that were built into my keyboard, I was like, how do I play a violin on my keyboard. How, how do I make that happen? And now I know it's just you get a, a great um, contact library in Native Instruments and, and you're on your way. And there's, there's definitely plenty of resources out there. But at the time, what I did is I think I went on to the, I don't remember exactly which like Philharmonic Orchestra it was, maybe like the London Philharmonic Orchestra website. And they had a place where you could download like certain collection of uh so all the different instruments say you play a note for like five seconds in all these different registers they just had this database you could download them all and just use them freely however you'd like 
like just using these kind of sampled recordings of all these instruments uh, playing notes. Um, and what I did was I downloaded them all, of course, and uh, I would put them into the sampler uh, in Ableton and kind of tweak it so that I could like play the note and it, the note would sustain indefinitely by having this this weird thing where it like plays the note the sound initially and then like reverses it and then like crossfades it so it, it gives the illusion that it's just one really long note um, even though you're just playing a five second sample or whatever. And that's not a perfect way to do it. Uh, may, maybe you'll you'll notice when I play these sounds in isolation because it just it really does sound like you're artificially affecting the pitch and um, with doing that kind of reverse effect it the, the the tone of it, like the loudness of it kind of goes up and down in a very particular way. Uh, but it's all good because it totally works in the song, I think. But um, I'll play you like a viola that uh, I created in this kind of uh, crude way. Again, thank you, uh, London Philharmonic blah, 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 Orchestra, whatever that website was. That, that was a really cool resource that they offered that. But anyway, here is the, um, the viola. Another track that's going on, and again, we're still just talking about the first 15 seconds of the song or whatever, just, just the introduction. But like I said, I wanted, to, I wanted to lay it all out on the line from the get-go and just cram everything in there but the kitchen sink is, is I guess, what they say. I took the kitchen sink approach. Um, there was another string part that I had in here, and I forget if it was either just like from my keyboard or if it was one of these kind of Frankenstein sample deals, but uh, I added this extra string part and then I had these extra kind of crazy, more experimental like delay and chorus effects going on that to give it an extra kind of synthesized strange quality. Because you know, I wasn't full on just attempt attempting to mimic an orchestra and like play pretend, you know, I'm kind of em embellishing the, uh, the electronic nature of it all. So that's what this sounds like. So you probably heard it get a little weird at the end there. Sounded like something strange was going on with the sound. Um, that's thanks to a little thing called automation. Uh, we're getting into the very nerdy stuff here now, but uh, that's when you can like uh, manually change how much an effect is going to be present, like kind of change the volume of it or like the amount of it. So just playing around with that general general principle, you can have tones really shift and grow and evolve or diminish or whatever. You, you have some very intricate kind of minute control over that, which uh, for the purposes of this song was going to be very useful. Um, so besides all that string business, just in the very beginning, you got timpani, because why wouldn't you have timpani in this 
this this big uh, massive introduction to this ridiculous song. Why wouldn't you have just a nice little 2001 Space Odyssey style kind of roll going on there? So I think the same place where I found all these string samples and other instruments online, I found some nice timpani sounds and just kind of mixed and matched those, uh, fit them in, stretched them out appropriately, and here's what we have. that reverb effect, that just echoey, cavernous quality, I think really, really made that work. Um, and uh, we also, of course, have the applause sounds because, um, you know, whoever the character is in this song, they are, uh, of course, immediately being adored and celebrated, you know, at least in their own minds. So we got this... Uh, I found a good, um, found a couple different sounds of audiences clapping and just uh, affected them appropriately to, uh, to fit in here. And it was just kind of serendipitous because it ended up being roughly just the exact amount of time I needed and, and died down in the appropriate way. So that's just kind of a bit of luck there, finding that. And uh, we are still just in this intro, folks. <laughs> There's still some, some other big parts going on here that uh, might be cool to dig into. I think what I'm going to do is just show you everything else that's in the intro, and we'll, uh, we'll end it there for today, and then uh, I'll be back next week to go over everything else. Might be cool to, to break it up that way. But uh, anyway, we got a French horn going on. And this is definitely one of those Frankenstein in Ableton's sampler style French horns. Uh, it's, it's a little clumsy. Again, I think it works for the song. But when you hear it in isolation, you know, it might sound a little strange to you. And it's definitely not something that I would use in this way nowadays. Uh, you know, I feel like I understand the mechanics of this a little bit better, but here is the, uh, the French horn part. So the rest of what's going on in this introduction part is um, just some like synth vocals, like synthesizer tones that kind of sound like the human voice. And for that, of course, I uh, took much inspiration from Agira, as I mentioned earlier, and just basically kind of approximated that vibe um, to just cap this all off and, and add that quality in because I knew... Um, that sort of sound was going to be uh, present later on in the song as well. So I have like two clips for that. One of them was a little more strangely affected with, um, with weirdness than the other. But uh, I'll play both of those for you. And then what I'll do is just 
play the whole introduction with everything in it just once again for you to kind of be like, oh, that's how it all fits together. <laughs> that might be uh, sort of interesting for a reference. And then um, I'll leave it off there and I'll, I'll be back next week for part two of Breaking Down Pantheon Bar. Enjoy. All right, I'm also just going to quickly take this opportunity to both ask you to rate and or review the podcast on iTunes if you dig it and you want to kind of help get the word out more. I would love that. Any any feedback is totally welcome. And also, if you want to kind of reach out and support Niagara Moon a little bit more, we got lots of cool merchandise over at niagaramoonmusic.com slash store. You can get an Eating Peaches t-shirt. Uh, we also got a Fuss Budget t-shirt, uh, Eating Peaches CDs, Fuss Budget EP CDs. If enough people ask, I can make uh, some Back to Something New swag as well, some CDs for that or what have you. Uh, coffee mugs and more. Check it out at niagaramoonmusic.com slash store. At any rate, you guys are awesome. Thanks so much for taking an interest in this and, and listening today. And uh, I'm excited to be back soon. <laughs>